you to know that question was the burning question that was presented to Jesus 2,000 years ago when he walked to this earth. In fact, it's recorded several places. You find it like in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 and following. It says this, that one of the scribes came and heard them arguing, recognizing that he had answered them well. And he asked him, speaking to Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Absolute clarity. And I want you to know that is extremely helpful because when we consider this question, what is the ultimate priority of the church? Jesus has already answered that, and it couldn't be clear. The Lord wants us thriving in his love, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love his people, and to love people, our neighbors, whether they're a believer or not, he wants us to be living in and living from his love. This is to be central to our existence. And that is what we're going to find when we come to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now, I'll tell you that your, your love for the Lord, it's going to fluctuate in intensity. We're people, we're frail, we're really prone to distraction, okay? And and I want you to know that God knows that. And our love can fluctuate as believers at, at different times, higher, lower, okay? We're in this room right now in the worship center. There's all sorts of different like levels right now, just love and intensity for the Lord. But we're going to encounter a church, the church at Ephesus, that had actually come to a place where they had left their first love. Now, just to bring you up to speed, the book of Revelation was written by the last remaining apostle, the apostle John, about AD 96. And John himself was, like we saw in Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse, Revelation 1, verse 9, uh, he was actually sent into ex- exile on the island of Patmos because of, like the text says, because of the word of God, he was preaching it and would not compromise on it and for the testimony of Jesus. He publicly identified with Christ. He was unashamed of the gospel. And that was going to be a problem with an emperor uh, who was actually demanding that he be worshipped as Lord and God. And so to deal with him, he sent him to this, this just small little rock island to work in a mine and sent him into exile. And it's on this island that Jesus himself gives John, this man who had traveled with him, one of the founding apostles, Not only seven letters to seven actual churches, but also a revelation of what is to come. Just like we saw last week, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. And these seven churches had been in existence for about 40 years. Now, what we're going to find as we walk through this and see what Jesus desires from the church is we're going to find this, that before Jesus Christ comes to rule on this earth, his desire is to rule in the churches. And we're going to find exactly 
what Jesus is after in the churches. And remember last week, we saw Jesus as he really is. If you want to see Jesus as he is, what he's doing currently, go back and look at Revelation chapter 1. You see him in all his glorious might and his power, and he is walking among the churches. He refers to him as lampstands, and he is very concerned about their well-being to the degree that they're sharing and shining the light of Christ. And so in Revelation chapter 1, you see him in his glory, and beginning in chapter 2, all the way through chapter 3, you're going to find these seven letters. And what Jesus is doing, and he's providing a review, an evaluation. Now, I would imagine that most of you, if you work for a company or an organization, you've had like maybe an annual review, or maybe it's like twice a year, and you're going to find out from your boss how you're doing in terms of the values and what the company is trying to accomplish. And uh, you're going to find out, like, are you fulfilling their wishes, their desires, what they've expressed? Um, You're going to probably get some affirmation on those things that you're doing well. Uh, If you're off base a little bit, they're going to provide some counsel and, hey, this is how you can kind of correct this. Um, There may be some encouragement. That'd be nice, uh, right? Um, There's going to be some counsel as to how to address the situation, especially uh, next steps or where you might be missing the mark. And then uh, you might also find that there's like a call to action. And that's what Jesus does in these seven letters. He literally is going to give an evaluation to each one of these actual churches. And these churches really kind of represent churches throughout the last 2,000 years, in, in every age, in every time. And we find this when we come to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, an answer to this question. How do we regain our first love for Christ and others when we become aware that we have left it? Now, this particular letter um, to the book to Ephesians, it's, it's unique in all of Scripture because... God had already sent a letter about 30 years prior to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Perhaps you've actually read it. I think you have a copy of it. It's called the book of Ephesians. And he actually outlined what they were to do. And it's an amazing letter. In fact, we spent an entire year going through it not long ago. It's fascinating. He has great clarity as to what God is looking to develop In his churches. And this particular church had some amazing pastors. For instance, Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. In fact, fact, had set up a training center that became his basis of evangelism. They also had a pastor by the name of Timothy who received two letters in the New Testament. And John spent much of his later years as a pastor in this very city. So they had lots of things going for them. And so If you want to find an answer to the question, like, well, how do we regain our first love for Christ and people if we've left it? Then you want to take a look at this letter. And the first thing is you've got to recognize the severity of our condition. If you're ever going to address a problem, you first of all have to have an awareness of it, right? What is the problem? Well, take a look here. So let's pick it up. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, I want you to write. Angel, Greek word angelos, it means messenger. It's either a heavenly messenger or an earthly one. And as we have seen, these are are earthly messengers. This is like to the the lead pastor or the head elder. He says, "I, I want you to write. And so he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, let me just give you a little background on Ephesus. Although it wasn't the, the province's capital, 
It was one of the leading centers and cities in Rome. The estimated population at this time, about 2,000 years ago, uh, was it had about 250 up to about 500,000 people. It is uh, one of the largest archaeological sites in the Mediterranean area. It was massive. I mean, it was an incredibly impressive city. It was very cosmopolitan. It was a major city of commerce. Think like New York, because that's what it was like. It had rich and poor, highly educated, and folks that had no education. It was, it was filled with, like, cults, and it had an incredibly impressive feature. It had the Temple of Diana, or Artemis. It was actually considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was at this temple of Diana and Artemis, though, it was really, um, it was like kind of like a shrine for absolutely all things evil. They had thousands of temple prostitutes that was all part of the religion of Diana that they had. And then this same temple also served as the Bank of Asia. It had an art gallery, and it was a sanctuary for criminals all in this massive temple, and it's kind of at the heart of the city. And as it would be in the midst of great darkness, absolute moral chaos, debauchery of every type, spiritual lostness, that's where the gospel goes. And there is the light of Christ coming through the church at Ephesus. And this church had great pastors, great training. They received an actual letter in the New Testament. And so in the midst of all of this darkness shines this particular church, the church at Ephesus. And Jesus then says this, chapter 2, verse 1, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. You remember last week from chapter 1, verse 20, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. In this case, these are the earthly messengers. And he's saying the one who holds all, of these leaders, all of these churches. He's calling to mind exactly what he had just covered uh, in chapter one. And the one who, look at this, verse one, who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. Here we see the, the lampstands. Remember from last week? Again, back to verse 20. The lampstands are what? They're the seven churches. And he, Jesus is saying, calling to mind, know who I am. I am the one who walks in the midst he sees everything. He's deeply concerned. These are his churches. He's, it's really the imagery of like a high priest. Remember uh, the garments that he was wearing? All identified him as, as Jesus is the one who is looking at each one of these churches and their lamps. And one of the roles of the priest is to take a look at a lamp and see like, is it burning brightly? Does it need to be trimmed? Is there, is there oil? What, what is needed for this lamp to shine brightly? That's what Jesus is doing. In fact, he's doing that even today for his churches he is deeply concerned, and he knows all about them. He's walking in the midst. There's great care, great authority on Jesus' part, and so he's addressing. And he's having this letter written to the church at Ephesus, and notice what he says, verse 2. Look at those first two words. I know. I know. It's a statement coming from the omniscient judge, from Jesus Christ the Lord God Almighty, the first and the last, he says, I know. He knows everything. He knows every outward action. He knows every inward reality. Remember his eyes? They're like fire. They can just get pierced right through. He knows exactly what's going on. 
And let me just tell you, a, a church is the collection, it's the community of called out ones, called into relationship with Christ, called into community. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be called into relationship with Christ and to be called into community with other believers. And know this, the health of a church is determined by the spiritual health of the individuals in the church. So you, me, guess what? Collectively, we set the tone for the church. We, together, collectively, there's a, like a level of health, and I want you to know who knows all about it. Jesus does. I know. And so what, what is it that he knows? What does he see about the church at Ephesus? Well, I want you to know, they're doing things right. Look at this commendation. Think of this, Jesus addressing this church. What does he see? What does he know? Verse two, first of all, he sees their deeds. I know your deeds. They have acts, actions. They're, they're at work. Do you remember the gospel of grace? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast, right? They actually believe that. That's Ephesians 2, 8 9. That's in their letter. And if you truly know Christ and the gospel of grace, what do you do? Next verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. They had good works. They were sharing the gospel. They were building up disciples. Maybe they actually were working on an actual facility and their church, and they had a campus, and they were, they were involved in the lives of people. They were caring for people. They had a ministry, perhaps to the poor, an outreach to these temple prostitutes so that they would be freed from such bondage. They were doing a lot of good things. Jesus says, I know your deeds. Furthermore, he says, look at verse 2, I also know your determination. I know your deeds and your toil, which speaks of like working to the point of exhaustion. Whoa. And your perseverance that you're patiently enduring. Whoa. So Jesus says, I know your determination. And I want you to know that that determination was tested. I mean, think of it. If you are walking with Christ in the midst of a real pagan world that is really twisted, sound familiar? You're going to take some heat. Uh, think of, uh, if you want to like a parallel thought, think of being a Jew in Nazi Germany, like specifically in Berlin. You ever read the history and seen the kind of persecution they went through? I mean, it was physical violence, social ostracism, economic repression, getting your business destroyed, hauled off, beaten, killed. I want you to know, the Ephesian church experienced things like that. There was hostility, and yet they persevered. And furthermore, notice what else they had. They had discernment. Did you see that? Look at verse 2. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, like officially sent out ones, and they are not. And you found them to be false. See, they knew the truth actually really well. The only way that you can ever have biblical discernment is you have to actually know the Bible. If you don't know the Bible, you're not going to be able to have biblical discernment. But they did. 
And so when you've got some folks that said, hey, oh no, we're, we're official sent ones. They're not like capital A apostles, but like, no, we're, we're very much involved in shaping the church. We're official sent out ones. And they'd show up and they kind of had their version of Christianity. I want you to know, Ephesians, like, boy, they knew their Bible. Uh, we have not only the Old Testament, but we have all these letters that are in circulation. And what you're saying is not in keeping with the truth. And notice what Jesus said. You don't even tolerate evil men. By the way, false teachers with a false agenda, an agenda that is not in keeping with God's kingdom agenda, Jesus doesn't say, hey, they got a different version on Christianity. No big deal. I can work with it. He actually says it's evil. And he would know because these are his churches and he's the judge. Uh, You will find this. If you add or subtract to the Bible, you will fabricate a faith that is going to be different from the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, right? That's what's going to happen. They wouldn't put up with it. They said, absolutely no way. By the way, do you remember Paul in Acts chapter 20? He actually has all the elders from Ephesus come and meet him in Miletus. And he gives them a warning in Acts chapter 20, 20, verse 28 and following. And he says, you want to be on the alert for, quote, unquote, savage wolves are going to arise and they're going to try to be amongst you. They paid attention to that like, no way. We're not going to ever doctrinally compromise. I don't care what's going out there, what they might be saying. We're not going to do it. And Jesus says, man, I got to commend you. You're doing that. Furthermore, they had dedication. Do you see what else he says? Look at verse three. And you have perseverance, and you've endured for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. You have persevered through all the difficulty. You did it in my name. There was no compromise there. And I want you to know, I'm really challenged by that statement at the end there. You've not grown weary. Uh, I've been a Christian for about 35 years. And I, uh, I've, I've endured a lot of things. I'm not sure I could say this about me, though. There have been some times where I, th- I feel like I've grown weary in well-doing. Not compromised, but just kind of like wiped out. That is a huge statement that Jesus makes, and a great commendation that you have endured for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Like, wow, look at this. I mean, you would got to think, this has got to be the church of the year, right? Maybe the church of the decade. They're doing all of these things right. I mean, you and I, when we'd evaluate this, we're like, woohoo, that is an amazing church. They're hardworking. They're orthodox. They're moral. But Jesus then is going to hit the brakes. It's like going 70 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, there's going to be skid marks because of what he says next in verse four. But I have this against you. What? What is, what possibly could you have against a church like this? Look at what he says. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Let that sink in. The foremost thing that Jesus would be looking for would be this devotion, devotion in loving Christ and loving others. And they had 
somehow lost this vital love relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to know it was like a deadly cancer. You know, sometimes when you hear, or maybe you've had this experience, you find out like the doctor says, I don't know how to tell you this, but you, you have cancer. And you're like, what do you, what? I am like, I've never been so healthy. I feel so good and so strong. And they're saying, yeah, but there's something growing inside you rapidly. And we got to address it. You're not as healthy as you think that you are. And that's what was happening here at Ephesus. There was a deadly cancer that was growing. And he says, he tells him what it is. You have left your first. It means first in priority. It's a supremacy word. First in priority. Your love for me is actually not the driving priority in your life. And I want you to know, in the midst of all of our busyness, and I'm thinking of myself here, (laughs) this causes me to pause. What? You've left your first love. What you're doing, lots and lots of good stuff. Don't get me wrong. Just the problem is, it's not driven by a love for me. They'd missed it. Do you remember the the letter that, that Jesus had given to the church at Ephesus 30 years ago? Do you remember how it ended? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24. I'll just remind you. It says, is this how the letter ends? Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. It was as if like, this is the final thing I want to say, final thing you need to hold on to, to love the Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. You see, Jesus said this, hey, we've got a huge problem here. You've left. You've left the love for God, it's diminished and it's been displaced. It's diminished in quality. It's no longer the brokenness over sin, just the delight in being with Jesus, just, just reading his word and like, these are letters from God and this is feeling my, and feeding my soul and the warmth of relationships and, and the caring for one another. That somehow it diminished, but it also had been displaced. Other things had just moved in. Oh, I'm sure they were good things. It wasn't like they were just like, well, we're engaging in open immorality and all this sort of stuff. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure these were good things. But they had moved in to become the first place things. And Jesus said, we've got a huge problem. It's going to be good things like just career, like, oh, if I just give myself to this for another five years, then it's all going to work out. Or maybe it's just like, I'm just focusing on my family and yeah, the church thing, I'm for it and stuff, but I'm not really that for it. And it could be just, hey, I'm all about friends. Maybe it's your entertainment. Maybe I'm just going to give myself to my academics and I'm going to study really hard and I'm going to make my life in the lab or whatever it is. And I want you to know that uh, Jesus says, you've lost your first love. It's been displaced in position. Something else had moved in. You see, their love hadn't matured. It'd become mechanical. You know, that can happen. Uh, They were doing the right things, but they'd lost the passion. They had uh, a lot of hard work, but they lost the heart for the Lord. Here's something you you don't want to forget. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't 
Forget it. Live it. Live in my love. Live from my love. This is my number one priority. I mean, how would you ladies who are married, how would you, how would you handle this if your husband came home one day and just said, hey, listen, we're going to have a little talk. Hey, I want you to know, I don't really love you like I once did, but I want you to know that nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. I want you to know I'm still going to come home. I'm not going to be running around. I'm still going to bring my money in. We're, we're going to make this work. I'm, I want to be here for the kids and stuff like that. We're, we're going to do things like a family, and I, and I want you to know why I'm doing this, because I believe in the institution of marriage. Okay, you know, and, and marriage is in decline in this country. That whole institution, and I, I don't want to be a part of that. I, I just, I just want you to know that that's how it's going to function. Like, how many of you guys do you think that your wife would just swoon if she heard words like that? No, please, oh, do not put your hand up. Okay, okay. I want. We have a, we got a marriage ministry. It's a class that meets on Wednesday night. You, you need to be at that class. Okay, All right, I want you to know, like, your hand should be down, because your wife would be devastated if she heard that, right? Don't think like, oh, that's just music to my ears. Oh, that's all I wanted was just you to just do the right things. She actually wants a heart behind the right things. What is it with the Lord if we're like, we're doing the right things, but um, our heart's not in it? And, uh, and what it kind of looks like is this. Well, yep, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll go to church. I'm still be definitely a part of the church. This is the reality of America, but like, you know, I'm really a part of the church, but I only show up about like once a month. You know, but I'm, I'm for the church. Uh, yeah, serving, mm, well, yes, if it works within my schedule and not an inconvenience, and if there's great rewards if I do it, I'd like to do that. Yeah, um, when I'm there around, I'll sing the songs or at least mumble through them or stand through them or whatever. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Please, I'm there. Uh, giving, well, you know, hey, I'll take a look and see what's left after everything else that I'm doing here. And I've, I've got bills and oh, we got all these, you know, things that we're planning, wanting to really do and stuff. Oh, but yeah, I'm, I'm in, count me in. You know what I'm saying? But your heart's not in. I want you to know like, hey, Jesus knows. He knows. He's walking amidst the lampstands. He knows exactly what's going on. You know, if you've left your first love for God... How are you going to really lead your children to Jesus? When you think about the folks that you're trying to share your faith with at school, at at your job, in your neighborhood, do you think a lack of zeal for Jesus Christ is going to be like instrumental in winning over a conversation for them to think about what does it mean to truly trust Jesus? They can kind of read the, the temperature, but I'll tell you who really knows the status of our heart. Jesus does. See, leaving your first love doesn't happen like just like that. It happens over time. God doesn't want his people or his churches to be like a taxidermist shell. You ever seen like one of those bears that's standing up, you know, and like, ah, and you're like, look at it, like, ugh. You know, I remember there was a pizza place when I was in high school, and they had one of those, and it was just like, ah, like, why would you put that in there? I, I want you to know that uh, God doesn't want his churches and his people to be like, you're just like frozen in time from another place, but you're just a shell. There's nothing real about this anymore. You're dead. You kind of look alive. You got the posture, but there's no reality. He's addressing this heart issue. And I want you to know this is a really challenging passage for me. 
I have really wrestled with this. I was speaking yesterday with pastors and telling them, um, this, I'm, I'm preaching this passage. I've been thinking about that, you know. I'm a, I'm a high-responsibility, hard-working, absolute-duty guy. But I'm like, I'm trying to evaluate, and I've been working through this process for weeks now. How much of what I do is just raw duty? It just needs to be done. And I'm going to step in there, and I'm, I'm going to, it doesn't matter how difficult, how challenging, what it's going to cost me. How much of that is coming out of duty? And how much of that is coming from just delight and loving the Lord? And I'm not giving myself a pass. I'm working through those issues. Because I'm a part of this church just like you are, Right? And Jesus, why well, he knows. And there's been some times where, you know what, I've assessed, I think I just did that or prepared that and, and, and executed that just because it needed to be done. What do you do if you have uh, left your first love? You know, it's really interesting. Every time Jesus actually confronts where you and I are off track, he always counsels as to what to do about it and how to come back. And that's exactly what he does here He says, he tells us in one verse, and this verse 5 is golden. He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. What should they do? Well, he says right here, remember the love that you once had. Remember, and actually it's a present tense word. It means you need to keep on remembering. This needs to be kind of an ongoing way of life. Remember when Paul was writing to Timothy, that final letter? You know how he began? To Timothy, who was rather timid and probably ready to check out, he like, hey, remember your heritage, right? Well, I want you to know that's what Jesus is saying. I want you to remember. Remember first love. Remember from where you had fallen. Remember the times where just being with me is like, you really like that. Remember the times you like, when you're first love, you just love being in the word, just to hear, to learn. Like you were eager. You were like a sponge. You remember the times that you would pray and like, God, I just absolutely need you. And I'm totally dependent upon you. There's no way this is going to work out. And remember, like, the church is meeting, you're like, yeah, I can't wait to be there. I, um, I love being with the body of Christ. Worship songs, like, yes, I love praising the Lord. He says, I want you to remember. There's something revitalizing when you remember. I, I've been thinking about, like, just first love for me, coming to Christ in college and sharing my faith and leading my very first Bible study. And I had all non-Christians in my Bible study at the University of Oregon, with the exception of one guy that came to Christ in high school. I mean, like, but I was like, okay, I don't know hardly anything. I'm one step ahead of the dogs. I'm studying hard the next night, the night before. So I, but I remember those times sharing my faith in some pretty like just people like high risk situations. This probably is not going to go well, but you know what? Didn't matter because they need to know Jesus. Just, just being with him, leading worship, praying. I remember first love. John Bunyan says this in his book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. What a great title for a book, by the way. He says this, it is profitable for Christians to be often calling to mind the very beginnings of grace within their souls. Guys, you remember, you remember when you, you were like dating your wife? Oh, remember those times you like, you show up with flowers. You didn't know what type of flowers they were, but you, you showed up with them, right? And you would go out to eat. And do you remember like how much like talking you could do? Like you were surprised how much you could talk, right? And you remember like you'd get the door for her and stuff like that. And is it now possible that like you're pulling out of the driveway and she hasn't even gotten into the car? I mean, is that happening? What, what's, what's going on here? You know, if you're not careful in your marriage, it can end up like this. The cleaning lady married to the gardener. It can happen. And I want you to know that 
if there's not a cultivation of a first love for Jesus, it gets rather perfunctory. And we just are kind of going through the motions like hamsters in a cage, spinning on wheels. But uh, the heart's not in it. Jesus says, what should he do? Remember. Remember who he is, all that he's done. The goodness, his greatness, his sovereignty. One of the reasons I love baptism services is because it just puts us all face-to-face with first love. Mm, love it. I got, a, I got a front row seat. I got to see it on their faces, in their eyes. So good, so good to see that. You know, there are times where your Christian life will get flat. It's happened to me. What do you do? Do what Jesus said. He knows. He says, this is what you should do. Remember. Remember the love we once had. Second, he says, repent of our sin. Do you see that? Same verse. This is a great verse. And repent. It has the idea of a change of heart and mind that leads to a change of direction. This isn't a slow two-year U-turn, like, oh, I'll finally get around to it. No, this is like, whoa, something's not right here. Jesus has addressed it. I'm, I'm coming back. And so you repent. This isn't, by the way, mixed up priorities or a bad habit. This is called missing the mark. And Jesus, like it says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. And then Jesus says this, and then what you should do is return to the love and the deeds that you had at first. You see that verse five? He says, and this is what you should do. Do the deeds you did at first. Go back to him. In fact, he says, or else I'm coming to you and I'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Do you get the idea that Jesus is really serious about the condition of the hearts of his churches? Yeah, he is. He says, I want you to redo what you did. Back to the times, back to the word, back to church, back to his people, back to loving, caring from the heart, doing what you did, why you did them. You were motivated out of love and how you did them. There was a reliance, a dependence upon God. And Jesus says this, if you don't change, I'm going to come and step in and I'm going to remove your lampstand out of its place. Did you see that? If you don't change what you're doing, he says, I'm coming. This isn't the second coming. No, he's saying, this is me coming and addressing the issue in the church. And what does he say he's going to do? Woo. Did you see that verse five? I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. The light's going to go out. I'm going to take it away because I want your heart. That's what I'm after. You see, the light will not shine from a people who do not love. Let it sink in. The light will not shine from a people who do not love. You know, you've got a real great ministry. But if this isn't coming back to a heart of love for me and for others, I'm going to address it. You know, there are churches that once burned brightly. I mean, some of them are just beautiful. But they're filled with people, or not necessarily filled. The people that go to them, uh, some of these, like, they don't, they don't actually believe in God. They certainly believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe the Bible is from God, certainly not inerrant. You know, it's open to all sorts of weird interpretations. Um, they uh, have adopted the morality of the world, and they actually feel really good about flying the world's morality flag over their churches. And they're just a shell of what they once were. The light is gone. You know, Fellowship Bible Church, God has really richly blessed our church. That was made abundantly clear to me this weekend, uh, talking and working with all these pastors of all these different churches. We've been really blessed. 
There is so much good that God is doing here. But friends, let's take this to heart. Let's make sure that all that we are doing is driven by a love for the Lord and a love for others. After all, it is the top priority. John Hanna said this. He's the professor of church history at Dallas Theological Seminary. A church or denomination never falls, it erodes. And what you lose first is your passion and your zeal. Then you lose your morals, and then you lose your orthodoxy. Now, he says in verse 6, Yet this you do have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, and you're going to see them show up in verses 14 and 15 in chapter 2. Uh, we don't know a lot about them, but they do, we do know that they were involved in a kind of licentiousness that allowed for sexual immorality. And I want you to know, Jesus commends them. He's like, hey, you hate that? Guess what? I hate it too. But listen to this. You and I must be known for what we love, not just for what we hate as believers. That is going to be really important in our culture We must be known for who we love, God and people, more than just the things that we hate. And so Jesus then closes this letter, and he says this, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who overcomes, he's not saying like, you're saved by overcoming. Rather, he's highlighting that overcoming proves that you have had a true conversion. In fact, it says in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And we've got a glorious future. And he talks about it right there at the end. You're going to eat of the tree of life. Taking us all the way back to Genesis 2, 9. Well, that earthly tree is gone. But in heaven, in fact, you'll see it three different times. In Revelation chapter 22, it speaks of this eternal love relationship that we have with the Lord. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, this is the church's ultimate priority. So what was the Ephesians' response? How did they respond to this second letter that they got? Well, they didn't eventually change. And they also don't exist. Today, where that church was, it's an archaeological site. The light just went somewhere else. I want you to know that Ephesus is a tragic reminder of a church that didn't heed the letter from Jesus, and the light just went somewhere else. See, when we're loving Christ, we're living well. And you see, the, the real emphasis here is this. Loving Christ, his truth, and people are the ultimate priorities for a church. This is what we are to be all about. To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Fellowship Bible Church, let's take this letter to heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the absolute privilege it is to open up your word And you, through your word, you bring about true conviction of soul. You know all about us. God, right now, if there's sin that needs to be confessed, let us do it. Would you cultivate in us a first love for you? Lord, we desperately need you. Lord, 
you and you alone. Jesus is what we need. And so God, would you bring about just a revival in our hearts? Fill us with a love and a passion for you. We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name.
be on the throne of our lives and of our hearts. As Grant said, I love it. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. How often do we ponder, ask the question, God, what would you have me do in this situation? I want to know your will in this situation. I want to know your will in that. I ask those questions all the time too, but sometimes it's not as much about that individual choice as it's just backing up and saying, well, we know what he's called us to do. What is the main thing? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You think you have an opportunity to, to apply that this week? I think we probably do. So as we go forward from here, rest in Christ, trust in him, abide in him, and keep the main thing, the main thing. You are blessed. You are dismissed to have a blessed week.